Community is a beautiful thing when done right. I've had this particularly on my mind this past week. Perhaps you have too. I've been aware of the bands practicing, not just Georgia Southern, but all of the high school bands. Have you been hearing the drums as they've been sounding out the rhythms of the bands as they have marched in practice um, on the fields in preparation for the upcoming football games? It's a beautiful thing to think about, these bands that are working their magic once again. Now, I know some of you don't think about anything really but the football, but there is, there is, there is this beautiful thing that happens. It is not just an intermission at the football games. It is this beautiful thing. Don't spend your time going to get a hot dog or popcorn or whatever. Stay there in your seat. Watch the band at work because it is an amazingly inclusive thing that is going on there. If you have ever witnessed it, the church could learn something from these bands. It is an observance that everyone is welcome. You now look at the football team. You get these guys who have muscles rippling all over their bodies. They've worked so hard to get to looking pretty much the same. But you look at the band. <laughs> you get all sorts out there on that field. There are all shapes and all sizes and all colors and all talents, and it's okay. You're in the band. You're in the band. Lee knows this better than anybody. Lee's the <laughs> director of the Statesboro High Band, and it's, it's amazing. It's amazing how people find their place in the midst of that community. It's so easy to fall into the pattern of being more attentive to the haves than the have-nots. Jesus, the brother of our Lord and Savior Jesus, knew this. That's why he put this down for us to consider. He spoke it in the form of an illustration, a metaphor, at the first of this passage that Gary has shared today. Let me read this section again. Imagine two people coming into your meeting. One has a gold ring and fine clothes, while the other is poor, dressed in filthy rags. Then suppose that you were to take special notice of the one wearing fine clothes, saying, here's an excellent place, sit here. But to the poor person, you said, stand over there, or here, sit at my feet. Wouldn't you have shown favoritism among yourselves and become evil-minded judges? You see how he does more than simply allude to this as being evil. He really nails it that you and I, if we show favoritism, it is an evil, evil thing. An honest appraisal of the scripture shows without a doubt that God does have a special concern for the poor and that we are called 
to have that same concern. It is not that God plays favorites here. It is not that he does not love rich people. But throughout the scripture, there is evidence, very heavy evidence, that God's heart reaches out to those that are oppressed. When Jesus was but a baby, his mother, I have no doubt, would take him in her arms and pull him close and she would whisper into his ear the Shema. She would say, Jesus, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. And then she would lift him up to the edge of their doorway and she would place his little hand there on the box that contained that very scripture as he said it to himself in his mind even before he could speak it he was being coached toward what he knew already in his heart and all of us too that to love God is the greatest thing of all but you know there was something else in Mary that Jesus was absorbing all along the way. For it's fascinating that even when she found out that she was expecting, that she broke into song. Do you remember how it went? This song that Mary sang, with all my heart I glorify the Lord in the depths of who I am. I rejoice in God my Savior. He has looked with favor on the low status of his servant. And you remember that low status, don't you? Look, from now on, everyone will consider me highly favored because the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He shows mercy to everyone from one generation to the next who honors him as God. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. He has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. You don't think Jesus picked up on this? You don't think Jesus was listening, even from the womb? You don't think Jesus absorbed what was in his mother's heart? Is it any wonder that Jesus said that there is another commandment like the first. And you and I know it by heart. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It was vital to who he was. It was a part of the very heart of God that he was expressing to the world. But this is not an easy thing to replicate. It is not an easy thing to do at all. 
We think to ourselves that this just happens. If you've got the love of God in your heart, this just happens. And James says, no, it doesn't just happen. In fact, if left to us, it will not happen at all. In fact, we won't even see it happening because we will fall into the same patterns that the culture around us tells us are okay. This is the way the world works. Because this thinking is counterintuitive. It requires us looking in a different way at those that are around us. My mother and dad moved to Metter, Georgia when I was entering the fifth grade. They brought us along. And it was important that they did because Metter was a very special place for us as we were growing up. I just loved Metter. Everything was better in Metter for me. (laughs) I rode hundreds of thousands of miles on my little bicycle and explored those streets. And I learned a lot about life there. I think those years are formative for most all of us. But for me particularly, I was watching and listening and learning And I remember particularly one little girl who was in the class that I was in, um, and she was so distant from the rest of us. How could she not be? Um, She was in school, but she always came there with the oldest clothes, just very tattered looking. Um, It did not look that she bathed very often. Her hair was often matted. Um, She was just dirty, and she even smelled bad. And I can remember some friends of mine, I felt uncomfortable with what they were saying, although I didn't get any closer to her than they did, but they they would say, I wouldn't touch her with a 10-foot pole. Ah, The damage done in those early years. Frankly, children can be rather mean at times even though upon them is the grace of the kingdom of God. This girl, I heard someone say, lives at the drive-in. I said, what? Lives at the drive-in. There used to be a drive-in in Metter. It's no longer there. There was this screen just outside of town to which people would go. I remember it very well. I remember our going to to see a few movies there. The thing that I remember most clearly in my mind is that my older brother, Tim, snuck me in to see Easy Rider at that theater. (laughs) He and a friend of his said, get down low in the back seat. Get down low in the back seat. You're not old enough to go into this movie, but we're going to take you into this movie. And so I hid, and we got into the theater. But when I heard that, that this girl, who was a classmate, lived at the drive-in, I thought to myself, how is that possible? And then riding by there on my bicycle, I saw that actually within the screen, someone had built a little efficiency, one-bedroom apartment there, and she and her mother actually lived inside the screen, inside, literally inside 
the screen at the theater. It was an awakening for me, considering where I lived. I couldn't conceive of their staying in that place. I have a dear friend in the ministry who did not feel welcome for various reasons in this place. He fled to the North Georgia Conference a few years back. He struggled with life, but I remember him saying to me, he said, Bill, the church is bigger than what we imagine it to be. He had felt so excluded The church is bigger than what we imagine it to be. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who gave his life in service to Christ, he died in a concentration camp. He was killed just days before the end of World War II, just days before the Allied forces came in and set those persons free. He wrote a book that he entitled Life Together in which he gave instructions for how to live in Christian community. And one of the things that he says over and over there is to listen to each other, to be prayerful in your spirits and to live. I call it togethering, togethering, intentionally living together, embracing each other in order to build Christ's community because it doesn't just happen. Even if you think to yourself, this is a very friendly church, it's because people are actively seeking to be the presence of Christ in this place. And God knows the world needs it. Not just in this place, but everywhere to stand against the favoritism that the world tells us is okay. Did you get the news this week? Jimmy Carter has cancer. Did you hear that? He admitted it. He said that that he had gone through an operation and they had found that not only was it in his liver, but it's in several other places in his body. Um, The family, of course, is waiting and wondering, as all of us are, as to what that means for his long-term health. I'm one that just takes pause at that news because I have put Jimmy Carter in a little different category. Not that he is inhuman in any way, that he is above humanity, but I thought of him as being almost extra-human in some ways because of who he is and what he does. And I guess I never really considered that he was going to die. Jimmy Carter is this precious soul that has done a better job of being ex-president than he did being president. And not only the Democrats would say that, but the Republicans too. And we could learn a lot from this 
ex-president who teaches us that everybody, everybody should be at the table, who reaches out into dire poverty where you and I are not even thinking, we're not even thinking about these things. And he is saying, if we miss the opportunity, just think what we're losing. He goes himself on these trips still to further democracy throughout the world in order to to just see if voting is going the way it should. When you and I just bask in the glory of a system that's well set up on this side. This is a man of God's own heart, I believe. We've built a world in which the deck is stacked against the poor. It's just the way it is. In fact, it's the way it always has been. Jesus himself said, the poor you will have with you always. But you and I must be the voice against the world saying that the poor don't matter. We are called to be a people of faith, but to be active in our expressions of love in order that other persons too might be at the table with Christ. In this community, and outside of this community. We must be resolute or it will not happen. If we just consider ourselves to be Christian without having thought about what our role might be in reversing things, if we are not resolute to reverse the way of the world, I think James would raise the question, are we really Christian? He even suggests that faith may be dead if there is no faithful activity on our part. In just about a month, there is a special day for the Jews that they will celebrate is is their new year, Rosh Hashanah. And one of the strange things I learned about Rosh Hashanah is that, of course, the celebrations are there, but there's one special fruit that Jewish people will eat during those days, and it is the pomegranate. Have you ever eaten a pomegranate before? Have you ever had one? Well, they will be available. If you look in the grocery stores particularly, Uh, from the 1st of September uh, through about the third week particularly, you will see them more available. A pomegranate. Why would Jews eat pomegranates? I think I've eaten one. I've asked myself, why would anybody eat pomegranates? (laughs) It's just a bunch of seeds. I mean, albeit they do have this interesting flavor, this this juiciness, but it's just a bunch of seeds inside of this encasement. And yet the very reason that the pomegranate 
is celebrated at Rosh Hashanah is that it is fabled to carry within it 613 seeds. Now, I've never counted them, but I'm going to take it that they are there. 613 seeds. Why would that be important? Because there are 613 laws in the Torah that are each worthy of our celebration. And can you set any aside and not embrace the whole? James is raising this question. That's what he's saying here. He was saying, do you choose what you're going to obey and what you're not going to obey? Even looking at the Ten Commandments, can you look at the Ten Commandments and say, well, I haven't committed adultery, but I've only murdered one person. Can you say that and feel good about the law and your attentiveness to it? James would say, at the very heart of Jesus, we all know to love our neighbors as ourselves. Do we think that it is okay not to obey that commandment? I don't know. Do we? You have the opportunity, we all do, to make a difference by our actions. Not just by our words, by our actions. To include somebody else. Will you be Christ for the world?